Well, if you have your Bibles, please turn over to 1 Corinthians. It's where we've been going through. Um, and 1 Corinthians chapter 7 is where we are. Um, yep, chapter 7. And we are starting with, I think it's verse 17. That section right there. Yeah, verse 17. And it, when I first started looking at this, I was going to do the entire chapter. But then I unpacked it as the first, uh, verse 17 through 24, and I saw such rich things here that I just couldn't, I couldn't do it. So I divided it up, and so I, the next one will be next week. Well, the manager of a large office asked a new employee to come into his office. He looked at him, and he said, what's your name? The first thing the manager asked, John, the new guy replied. The manager scout, look. I don't know what kind of namby bamby place you worked at before, but I don't call anyone here by their first name. It breeds familiarity and it leads to breakdown in authority, he said. I've referred to my employees by their last name only, Smith, Jones, Baker, that's all. Now that we've got that straight, what's your last name? The new guy sighed and said, it's Darling. <laughs> my name is John Darling. Manager said, okay, John, the next thing I want to tell you is. <laughs> All right, well, let's read this, uh, and you follow along with me, starting with verse 17. And what, what Paul's going to talk to us about, he's going to talk to us about remain in the place of your calling. And when you really dig into this and you look at it, it's got a lot of great stuff. So that's what we'll do. Um. He says, but as God has distributed to each one as the Lord has called each one, so let him walk. And so I ordain in all these churches. Was anyone called while circumcised? Let him become uncircumcised. Uh, let him not become uncircumcised. Was anyone called while uncircumcised? Let him not be circumcised. Circumcision is nothing and uncircumcision is nothing, but keeping the commandments of God is what matters. Let each one remain in the same calling in which he is, was called. Were you called while a slave? Do not be concerned about it. But if you can be made free, rather use it. For he who is called in the Lord while a slave is the Lord's free man. And likewise, he who is called while the free is Christ's slave. You were bought at a price. Do not become slaves of men. Brethren, let each one remain with God in the state in which he was called. Let's pray. Well, Father, once again, we thank you for the privilege and opportunities we have today to be able to do this. Uh, but, Lord, we want, we really do, Lord, we want this to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We thank you, Father, for the Holy Spirit this morning and the young man that came forward to give his heart and soul to the Lord. Uh, Lord, we just pray that that night would be the very same thing, that we would, uh, that, Lord, that you would just speak through me, and, and Lord, that I would, that nobody would see me, but they would see Jesus. So, Lord, I pray simply that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart would be acceptable in your sight, for you're our strength, you're our redemption, you're everything, Lord, we mean that. We hope and pray that... You can see that in our lives and, and in our words. We ask this, Father, in the mighty name of Jesus and for his sake, amen. Being a Christian is not about changing oneself externally to conform to the expectations of others. It's about being transformed by, uh, by the work of the Holy Spirit into the image of Christ, you see. I think this is why the Bible tells us over in Romans 10 that I beseech thee therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God that you present your body a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God. And then it goes on to say, and be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may be able to prove what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. What the picture here that Paul is painting for us is in reality a picture of discontent. I think this is what's happening in this country today. 
Paul talks about over in, in the book of Philippians, I think it's chapter, chapter 4, he says this in, in, um, he says this in chapter, verse 11, he said, Not that I speak in regard to need, for I've learned in whatever state I am to be content. I think that's part of our problems. We're never content. We're not content financially. That gets us in financial problems. We're not content um, married lives and, and family life and, and other things. And so we, we, we end up making decisions that God didn't direct us to make and, and we have a problem. And we want the world. We want, we're, and, and with another thing, we're so afraid that we're going to hurt somebody's feelings. And we're so afraid, and, and who wants to do that? Nobody wants to do that, but there's times that we've got to stand up and there's times that we've got to say things, even if it's to our own family, things that we can't go along with. Um, and so how is it that Chris, Christians should be willing to accept the, the married condition and social status in which God has placed them? That's what he's saying. And be willing to serve him there until he leads them out of that or to another situation if he ever leads you out of that and so so as i as i look at this what paul has said he's basically saying this to us he's saying to us remain in the place of your calling now what does that mean well we're, we're going to get into this a little bit but and paul is still writing to people on relationships and answering the questions of the corinthians if you read the book of Galatians, Paul writes, a di writes different in that book than he did in others. For instance, in Romans 6.23, he mentions a man by the name of Tertius, and, and then Paul says, who wrote this epistle. In other words, he was a scribe, and he was Paul was dictating to him, and everything he dictated to him, Tertius wrote it down, and he mentions him in that last chapter, Romans 16, verse 23. Uh, but in Galatians, he was mad. I mean, he was hot. And he, he was so upset with what was happening in uh, Galatia. He was so, uh, in, the, in the church of Galatians that he didn't want to scribe. He wrote it himself. This is why Paul, in some ways, some people say, well, it's affecting his eyes, and I'm sure it may have done that. But by the same token, Paul said, see what big letters I make. Well, what's he talking about? He wrote it himself. He wrote it himself, and the reason he wrote it himself, because he was hot and mad, because those Judaizers would come in and distort what Paul was preaching. He didn't wait for a scribe. And, and so some of the same things was happening in Corinth, and the people were being told if they were married to an unbeliever, they needed to divorce. Once they came to Christ, they needed to divorce and marry a believer so they could go to heaven. Or if you were a virgin and got married that you could not have sex because that would be a sin. These people we know were even writing letters to the people in Corinth and these other places, and they were attaching Paul's name to them and saying Paul wrote this when he didn't write it, and so he was hot. So the same thing had happened in Corinth, and the people were being told if all, these, all these lies. So Paul, in answering questions at one point, Paul says in, in, verse, in verse 25, he said, Now concerning virgins, I have no commandment from the Lord, yet I give judgment as one whom the Lord is mercy. It was made... Uh, was made trustworthy. Now, and some people debate on that, and they say, well, it, it was Paul saying that the Lord did not inspire him to write this when we know that the whole, the whole Bible is inspired by God? No, Paul, what Paul is saying is, he said, in my judgment, here's what I'm telling you, and I believe that was inspired. If I had a problem and the apostle Paul was in this church, who would I go to? I'd go to him. Because he, he's proved and shown himself. And just like in everything, if you, you, we have people in this church that have lived for the Lord a long time, that have done what they need to do and, and, and put Christ first in their life. And when I need a decision to be made, I'll go to those people and ask them, what is your opinion on this? And so this is what Paul was saying in verse 25. He says, I, I have no commandment from the Lord, yet I give judgment is what he's saying. And so... Uh, so from verses 17 through 24, Paul is telling them to remain in the place of their calling. Now, the first thing he starts asking, talking about, he starts talking about circumcision. 
and, and we know that circumcision was the sign that God had given, uh, given to uh, Abraham that, that, uh, to show that these people belonged to him, belonged to, it was Israel. The question they had on, were on circumcision, and if you were not circumcised, he's saying here, don't seek to be circumcised. That's what he's saying. He's saying simply, he says, uh, was anyone called while circum- were circumcised? Let him not become uncircumcised. This is verse 18. And he says, was anyone called with uncircumcised? Let him not be circumcised. Verse, and verse 19, circumcision is nothing and uncircumcision is nothing, but keeping the commandments of God is what really, what really matters. He's saying circumcision, don't seek to be circumcised. If you were circumcised, then don't seek to be uncircumcised. The Jew doesn't have to become a Gentile, and the Gentile does not have to become a Jew, is what he's saying. And you don't have to follow the Jewish tradition. Verse 19, he says this, circumcision is nothing and uncircumcision is nothing, but keeping the commandments of God what really matters. Paul says that circumcision is nothing and uncircumcision is nothing, but, committing the, but keeping the commandments of God is what really matters. And what are those commandments? Well, you go over to 1 John chapter Chapter 3, verse 23, he says, And this is the commandment that we should believe on the name of the Son of Jesus Christ and love one another as he gave his, command, as he gave his commandments. There were other commandments. Read the book of Thessalonians sometime. He'll tell you all the down through there, all the things that Jesus wants you to do. Are we under the law anymore for salvation? No, we are free from the law as far as salvation is concerned. We're free from it. The law becomes the law can be a guide to us, whatever. But is our our dependent upon salvation is no longer salvation is in Jesus and Jesus alone. Now, he says he says then the rest of him to follow what he's teaching you. And and the thing about it is, when I came to Christ, he became my Lord and he became my Savior. And as a result, if he's my Lord, then I'm going to do what he shows me to do. But there will always and will always be those who want to control you and bring you under their power. And it's called, what's called in the Bible, is called a Jezebel spirit. And, and there are those that would come in a church that all of a sudden, and I, 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 I probably told you this before, but Jim Cimbala talked about a man that wrote him a letter and said he wanted to come and be part of his ministry. And, and he wrote him back and told him simply that he could not, he could not, uh, we didn't, they didn't have the money to pay him, barely pay him at that time. The church was really struggling at that time before they, they'd really grown and became the Brooklyn Tabernacle the way they have today. And he said two weeks later, the guy shows up at his door with his family. He said, we don't have, he said we're barely, me and my wife and kids, we're barely getting by, but we went out and spent the last times we had to buy steaks to feed these people. And then they told us they had nowhere to go. Uh, had nowhere to live. He said, we had a little apartment in the church, and so we let them stay there. He said about three weeks later, some of the people in the church started coming to him and saying to him, simply saying to him, preacher says, you need to understand something. So these people are going behind your back, and they're telling all kinds of lies about you. He said, I called them in. said, it was almost a demonic type of situation. This guy looked me straight in the face, and he said this to me. He said, I'm here to take your place, and you need to leave this church. I'm going to be the pastor here. He looked him in the face and said, no, you're not, and said, you can get out of And said, all of a sudden, this guy just melted, and he went like a child, began to cry and weep. It was a demonic thing, and they had to move him out of the church. There are people that will come that will have, have uh, ulterior motives. That's what a Jezebel spirit is. You know, uh, and, and so, no, uh, there, but he's, Paul saying there are people that want to control you. You don't do that. So he advises people to stay in the situation in which they are. They're to not walk out on their marriage after they have heard and accepted the gospel. Now, I, you know, and I, because why? Why is this? And I might as well go on and say, why? Because you don't know what God's going to do if you're really trusting Him. I never will forget when Cricket and I went to a conference up in above Cincinnati. It was, and it was all homosexual and gay and this, and they had people out front, the gay people out front. Uh, protesting the people inside we heard five speakers that day and five speakers of that day were people that had uh had come out of the gay lifestyle and it was tremendous one of the most powerful conferences i ever attended the love of god the grace of god was just so powerful there it was just unbelievable and there was one couple that stood up they were chinese and she she had already come to america he said he had to take a steamer and come all the way around 
the Cape of Good Horn and everything, or not, that's Africa, but came around South America to come to, come to New York to be with his wife. That's where she was. And she says our marriage was not good and said that we, we just struggled and said then what really made things worse, our son, who was in the last year of dental school at the University of Louisville, came to New York and he walked in our house and he looked at us and the father said, he said those three little words, he said, I am gay. And said it just, it literally destroyed us. And said, we're already in a bad place, but when this happened, said we didn't know what to do. She actually got on a train and rode a train from, well, I guess it was an Amtrak, rode from, from New York to Louisville, Kentucky. Or is it Louisville? I don't know. Anyway, Louisville. She went to Louisville, Kentucky, and she had on her mind to do one thing. She's going to commit suicide. This woman. But somebody slipped her on the way from there a gospel tract. And she read about Jesus. Two weeks later, she goes back home. And, and he says, her husband says, she's so changed because of what Christ had done in her life that he said, I just couldn't believe the difference. And it wasn't a sh- but a short time later that, uh, that he, he came and gave his life to the Lord. And her whole home changed. They went to see their son to talk to him. They took him a Bible, and he actually took the Bible in front of them and threw it in the trash. He said, then what happened? He said that, that because this was in Louisville, he said then uh, three or four Jefferson County policemen said uh, God, Jesus showed up at the front door with a, a German shepherd and arrested him because not only was he in a homosexual lifestyle, he was also dealing drugs. So he had to go to prison. Now, she had this, if you've seen the movie War Room, well, we heard about this before we ever saw War Room. And it was a closet she had with stickers all over the place of the things she was giving to God and praying. I'm telling you, that, that's a great way to do it. She had all these prayer requests in there of the things and the people she was praying for. And as she prayed for the, all these things, she said, our son came home and what happened then, he looked at us and he said to us, or he called him on the phone, rather, because he'd gone to prison. He was given six years in prison. He went to, and said when he, he called us up on the phone, he said, said, he told us then that he had AIDS. And said that was fine. She said, I literally had to crawl into that little room to begin to pray. This is, this is spiritual warfare, guys. And so she goes in there and she said, begin to pray. And so they're up there telling this, and all of a sudden this really good-looking young man comes out. He sits down at the piano and he starts playing, it is well with my soul. Guess who that was? It was that young man. He was in his final year at Moody Bible Institute to be a pastor. Now, now that's what God can do. And so, you know, and so sometimes in the roughness of the situation or the circumstances that you say, I got to get out of it. I just, I just, I got to run from this guy. Listen, God is doing something unbelievable if you will trust him. Now, I'm not saying there are not times you don't need to leave. But there, you know, but the story, so he's saying that you are to stay married if the unbelieving Believing partner will allow it and remember one reason for it. What's the reason? Look at verse 16. For how do you not know, O wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, O husband, whether you'll save your wife? You should never got married in the first place because you were unequally yoked together. But now that you're married, then God honors that. Or your children would not be sanctified, what he says. But by the same token, as he does this, he's saying stay in that situation because you could win that person, possibly. Now, people in our day have been told, sold a bill of goods. That when they get married, that you're going to live happily after, ever after, and even never be tempted with sex. Well, that's a lie from the pit of hell, I'll tell you that right now. The problem with so many couples is this. They're not willing to fight for their marriage. They're not willing to fight for their marriage. Yes, there will be problems and disagreements, but fight through it. Good advice is Ephesians 4, 26. It says this, don't let the sun go down on your wrath. What does that mean? Well, some people say, well, you know, you should never argue. Forget that. You know. You are going to argue. 
And some people say, well, you never, you know, and I, when I first heard that, it said, well, you never go to bed mad. Well, Craig and I never went to bed mad, but we've seen the sun come up a few times. I'll tell you that right now. But what does it really mean? It means this, be current with one another. It means simply that don't let something that is small take the place and become a mountain in your life. Don't allow something that is small to fester and become a mountain. Then in verse 21, he says this, Where you were, were you called while a slave? Do be, no, be concerned about it, but if you can, be made free, rather use it. So in other words, he first, he first talks about uh, being circumcised as Jews, you become a Gentile, Gentile Jew, and now he's talking about it whether you're a slave. Or in other words, did you come to the Lord while you were a slave? He said, don't be concerned about it. See, what we got to understand there are, I, and I've met so many, I've done eight revivals in West Liberty. I've been in all kinds of jails to preach and everything. You know, and, and I'm going to tell you something. I've met so many wonderful Christian men that are absolutely free in the Lord, even though they're locked up in a place. Because Jesus has made them free. But I want to tell you something. I've met a lot of people on the outside walking around today can do whatever they want to that are in bondage. And that's what Paul is trying to get over to them here. Realize where you are in the Lord. Now, you know, and, and so uh, slavery, you know, he's saying don't be concerned about it. But slavery, we need to understand that I'm not saying that being a slave was all right and, you know, it's okay, you know, you're a slave, so just stay a slave. But the Roman institution of being a bond servant, which is the Greek word doulos, was very different from the institution of slavery in North America during the 17th and the 19th century. Rome, it was more like an indentured servant. A slave was allowed or permitted to work for pay to save enough to buy their freedom. Many slaves or servants were trusted with massive amounts of money and, and responsibility. And, 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 you know, and so as a result of that, you know, and even Paul, he goes on to, you know, he says this in verse, verse 21. He says, were you called while a slave? Do not be concerned about it. But if you can be made free, rather use it. In other words, you can be made free. You can pay your way out of it if you need to. Now, Here's the thing. Does the New Testament assume that trafficking in human beings or slavery, how does it see? It sees it as a sin. Slavery in the Bible is a sin. Now, what do you mean by that, Lee? Well, look at 1 Timothy 1.10. He says, for fornicators, for sodomites, or kidnappers, for liars, for prejurers, and there are many others that are contrary to sound doctrine. So what, where is it found in that? Kidnappers. These people have been kidnapped. All right, let's go to, go to Revelation 18, verse 11 through 13. And the merchants of the earth will, and he's talking about that the false church has now been brought down, and says the merchants of the, uh, the earth will weep and mourn over her. And listen while, they, listen while they're going to weep and, and mourn over her. This is during the tribulation. It says for one... For no one buys their merchandise anymore. Well, what are they selling? Well, listen what they're selling. Merchandise of gold and silver and precious stones and pearls and fine linen and purple and silk and scarlet, every kind of uh, citron wood, every kind of object of ivory, every kind of object of most precious bronze, wood, bronze, iron, marble, and cinnamon and incense, fragrant oils, frankincense, wine and oil, fine flour, wheat, cattle and sheep, horses and chariots. And listen to this. And bodies and souls of men. And the New Living Translation translates that as slavery, that last part. So God was not in this. God, in, you know, God was against slavery. But, the sla but Paul says, you know, if you find out that, you know, if you end up, when you came to the Lord, you're a slave, then just stay there, just wait to see what God's going to do. Because, look, if Joseph, when he was a slave... If Joseph had gotten out of prison, if he'd run from the Lord, uh, you know, and, and I really believe that's what got Joseph in trouble. That's why he spent two more years in jail. You remember the, the butler and the, and the uh, what was the other guy, the baker, and, and, the, baker, and the baker got, uh, he got his head cut off. He, he, after he, he, you know, he said, you're going to get a haircut, and you're going to get your head cut off. And, but the other guy, the butler, he said, you know, you're going to be put back in your job. 
And as he was going out to sail, he was going out to sail, Joseph caught him and said, wait a minute, said, wait a minute. Say, hey, listen, remember me. Remember me. And, and, and you know when he did? God could have got him out of there in one day. He could have got him out of there in two days. But he didn't. Pharaoh didn't have that dream for two years. Why did he wait? God looked at him when he grabbed that, 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 uh, that butler and said, listen, wait till I get out of here. And Don't forget me. Remember me. Joseph, God said, well, you're not done yet. You know, I'm gonna, I was ready to stick a fork in you, but you're not ready. Why? Because he was still trusting his own self-efforts rather than what God had said to him. And when he finally got ready, God sent, sent uh, all of a sudden this baker remembered that what? That, that hey, there was a guy back there in prison, or a guy back there in prison, uh, you know, that could interpret dreams. Wham, bam, he's second in command to uh, Pharaoh. So, so Paul is saying to stay in the place of your calling. Now verse 17, we go, we go back to that and it says, but God has distributed to each one as the Lord has called each one, so let him walk and so ordain in the churches. Where did God find you when you got saved? And so let him walk is what he's saying. He says for people to stay in the situation in which they were. Now, he's not saying if a woman is in an abusive situation and he's being beat up and all this kind of stuff to stay there. That, that, that would be stupid. That's not by any means. Or not to move to a better circumstance or a better situation. So what Paul is saying is he's saying, he's saying, all right, Christ is coming. He says, what has changed in your life? What has really changed in your life? And here's what changed. When you believed and came to Christ, what has changed? Well, 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says, Therefore, for any man being Christ, he's a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. What has changed is the Lord has come into your life. Amen? Mm. No, the Lord has come into your life. That's the change. The almighty, all-powerful, the, the God of the universe has come, literally inhabited your heart and your soul. So it would think to me that you would stop and say, okay, Lord, what do you want me to do? You, 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 in your life, you have gone from being a slave of sin and a slave of man and the slave of your circumstances. And according to Romans 6, verse 17, 18, it says, But God be thanked that though you were the slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. And having been set free from sin, you became the slaves of righteousness. All of a sudden, the Holy Spirit comes in, and now you're the slave of the Holy Spirit because when you try to do something you shouldn't do, because the Bible does say He, he, he will keep you from doing what you what your flesh keep us from doing what we want to do, our flesh. And so all of a sudden, you find this warfare going on inside. You know, what's changed in your life? Jesus has moved in. God is now in control of your life and circumstances. That's what that's what you know. That's what is new. There's a new sheriff in town, really, when you think about it. And now the Bible says in Acts 17, verse 28, it says, For him, for in him we live and we move and we have our being. It's in him that I move and we live and have our being. And he also goes on, as also some of your poets have said, for we are also his offspring. We belong to him. We're his child now. And so you're under a new ownership, and, and so you need to be still for a moment and find out what the new landlord is going to do with your situation. And the first question I think that we all need to ask when we're in that situation is we need to ask, okay, Lord, what are you up to here? You may be, in, you may be working in a place that's just terrible and you hate it and everything else, but just, you know, hang in there for a while. Have, 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 you know, and to what the Lord begins to really show you. Have you been studying the, I've been studying, or rather, excuse me, I've been studying the life of Jacob. And God was at work in Jacob's life, but Jacob was called a supplanter. What does that mean? Because he believed that rather than waiting on God, he believed the Lord needed some help. He always had an angle. He always, you know, 
he always had something going on, on the side. Something, let me, he's like those guys with those watches. Let me show you this, you know, whatever, you know, whatever it is. You know, he always had something going on. And, you know, and even think about this. If I, was, if I was his wife, I would have shot him. Because when he got ready to meet Esau, what did he do? He put, he put the, his servants out front. Then he put Lee out there because he had to marry her. You know, he, they, the, his father-in-law Laban did the old switcheroo on him. And he thought he was marrying Rachel and he ended up marrying Laban. So what, he put her out front with her kids. And then he put Lee, I mean, put Rachel in the back. Yeah, he, he, what is he doing? He was doing exactly what we do today when we say, you know, that great verse of Scripture, God helps those who helps herself, which is not in the Bible. You know, uh, you know so, so Jacob was called the supplanter because he believed that rather than waiting on God, he believed the Lord needed some help and always had an angle. So when Paul is telling them not to walk out on their marriage, this is applicable for today. And let me tell you, I've read, I, I, and this is, I'm telling you the truth, even though you, I have known of situations where people have been divorced and, and maybe they came out of a bad situation and then they found somebody else that was a good person, whatever, and they remarried. And in that new marriage, they had children. Now, they're married, this is their second marriage, and they have children. Then they come to know the Lord and are saved and they want to go and be part of a church. And they go and be part of a church, and the minister, listen, this, this is the truth, the minister then tells them that the, what they, if they want to be saved and a member of their church, they will have to divorce their present husband and go back to their first husband who was an alcoholic. Do you believe that? I'm serious. Even J. Vernon McGee talked about a situation, the same thing. I've seen that happen. I mean, I have literally seen that happen. And, you know, what a mess. Uh, what a mess that would, that would create, whatever. I, I read where that one woman ended, ended up in a mental institution for following that kind of advice, to leave her Christian home and go back to a drunk husband. Paul expanded this in verses 18, 18 through 20. Uh, he expanded the application of the principle before it applies to other relationships in life. So if you're a, gentle, a, a Gentile, don't try to become a Jew. And if you're a Jew, don't try to become a Gentile. Grow where you're planted. And here's the issue now in your life. It is simply obedience to Christ is the issue. And why? Because the Israelite and the Gentile are one in Christ. Now here's a man or a woman who comes to Christ... And the first time they experience the love of the Lord, and for the first time they experience real purpose in life, because that's one of the things that happens. Not only is your sins forgiven, but all of a sudden you see a, such a purpose. How why to get out of the bed, and why to do the things you do, and how to end, how why you need to endure certain things. And they get involved in some ministry, and in just a short time they come to the conclusion that they are to serve the Lord, and it must be in a full time ministry. That's what they think. Or get paid for ministering. That's what most people think that a full-time ministry is when you get paid for it. Well, let me just say this. I, I remember listening to a sermon by David Wilkerson years ago of, of uh, uh, Metropolitan Church in New York. He was the guy that he made the movie about who led Nikki Cruz to the Lord. Uh, you know, great individual. And, and I tell you, I saw a thing the other night that, where they were, they were showing a copy. You know, he had a book called The Vision. He wrote that in the 1970s. And man, you talk about a vision of what's going on today. It's really true. He talked, all the things that we're seeing today, he talked about. Now, he was killed in a car wreck, he and his wife. I don't know whether his wife died, but I think, I know he was killed in a car wreck uh, just a few years ago. But he did a sermon I listened to one time, and it was called Full-Time Ministry. And here's what he, here's what he had to say. He said, full-time ministry is which is, he admonished every Christian that was saved that they were in full-time ministry. You're in full-time ministry. Now, listen, years ago, I, I, I left my job because I, I felt like God had called me to preach. 
But for the majority of my ministry, 32 years of being a pastor and all those years even in between, I worked so I could minister. Let me say it again. I worked so I could minister. Why did I work so I could minister? Because God called me into ministry. I never looked at it what I would pay. I was just thrilled to death. I mean, I preach anywhere. I preach in nursing homes. You know, there you don't holler in nursing homes. Oh, you don't holler amen. You just holler clear. You know, that's what you do. So, you know, uh, but I mean, I preach in nursing homes. I preach on street corners. Uh, you know, I, I, I preached anywhere. I would prison, jails, wherever anybody wanted me, I would go. I preached in I, I, every denominational church. I don't think I preached in the Mormon church. They wouldn't have, but I, I preached in every denominational church there was around. Because why? God called me to minister. And that's it. That's, that's the, that, that, you know, that is the purpose. He called me. You know, and, and so it's only been in the last few years that I was paid to minister, really. God called me to preach. I worked to take care of my family so I could minister. Everything was about how I could minister. Too many young men who think they're called to preach are looking for a position and even a paid position. Uh, you know, um, and, and one of the things in that position that what they don't comprehend, they want the position, but they don't comprehend the responsibility that goes along with it. Listen, I preach, I preach in all kinds of things. Henry Blackaby said this, in order to find the will of God for your life where, where the Lord is working, go and join yourself. Find some group of people that are really doing something for the Lord. Go join yourself to them and the Lord will begin to show you what is next. Whatever job I have ever had, I ministered. Sometimes when I was coaching high school basketball and, and, and two different and a varsity coach in two different uh, schools, I ministered to my players. When I became a principal in a school, I had people come and say, Lee, would you pray with me? We'd shut the door and we'd pray. Uh, my staff knew that. Because why? I was called to minister. Uh, and so if the Lord is calling you to do something, he will provide what is necessary for that to take place. Proverbs 18, 16, he says, a man's gift will make room for him. What does that mean? That means simply that, that, that God, if God is calling you to do something, he will provide the necessary ingredients or whatever it is uh, for you to be able to do that. I've had people come to me sometime and they'll say, oh, Brother Cruz, I want to say the Lord has called me. I say, yeah, yeah, he's called me. I say, how's he called you? Well, he's called me to, He's called me to, to work with youth. He wants me to work with youth, young people. I said, well, okay, that's great. Go, let's, let's do it. And we set it all up, get her. Two weeks later, they come in and say, you know, I just don't know whether I just, I feel like I need to do this. Because they went in there and guess what? <laughs> they found out. <laughs> you know, and, and so well, if God called you, then brother, stick it out. You better get in there and do what the Lord told you to, if the Lord called you. But see, a lot of people, it's, we use that too flippantly. Well, the Lord called me to do this. Did he really? Okay. Uh, and, and so, uh, you know, so if you're, success, and if you're a successful businessman thinking about giving up your business and going into full-time Christian service, if you're a, you know, maybe God has given you a gift to minister in a particular area. I remember a, a, a friend of mine that worked for a group uh, in, in, um, in Lexington called Odessa. And Odessa was a Christian organization that was there for one reason, because he, this man believed that uh, he believed that uh, used car salesmen didn't know the Lord, and this his whole his whole ministry became where the, he was trying to reach car salesmen for the Lord. What he did, and and I, I never will forget. He told me one time. He he said, you know, we were so successful, and then this guy, somebody came in and bought him out, and he bought him out, and said so when he bought him out. Said the other group came in. The first thing they started telling me, he said they started telling me that I had all these buyers that would come in because this was wholesale buyer. That I had to. He said I then had to go to them and and I had to entertain them or whatever. And where they want to be entertained, he wanted to take them to some of these bars and some of the other places. And he said I just had to quit. Paul saying to look to the Lord. If He wants you to change where you are, He will make it clear. And many fall short and fail because they run ahead. And they don't wait on the Lord, and then they have dead works. Dead works are anything God didn't create. Sometimes you read the biographies of great men like J.C. Penney 
or Laterno who made a fortune in uh, uh, all these guys were multimillionaires, giving money back and giving back. And, 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 you know, just how the Lord just mightily used them. Verses 22 and 23, he says this. He says, for he, he who is called in the Lord... While a slave is the Lord's free man, likewise he is called while a free is Christ's slave. You were bought with a price. Do not become slaves of men. He's saying where you find yourself today, don't try to get loose from it. Don't be in a hurry, you know. Don't be in a hurry until you really know that the Lord is moving you. You heard me tell the story about the guy that hated his job and he just felt like he was stuck and he wasn't making the right kind of money and everything. And another company came along, and, and, but he was a Christian. He really began to pray about it and said, Lord, show me if you want me to change jobs. And he said, I prayed and prayed and prayed, and I couldn't get any peace in it. And he said, uh, they called me up one day and told me this other company called me up and said, simply says, We're, we've decided it's between you and this other guy, and we want you to come in and, 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 and interview again to take this job. And he said, well, I need a couple of more weeks. And they said, Nah, well, listen, we need to know now. He said, well, I don't have peace in it. I can't do it. And so he said, they closed it off. And he said, so here I was. He said, you know, in that time, he said, I really got upset. Because, and the reason a lot of people are upset, they're upset not with people, they're upset with God. Because God didn't answer their prayer the way they thought it ought to be answered. You know, he's God. He knows everything. And here we are trying to tell God how to answer our prayer. And so he said, I, I really was upset. One year later, he said, I had been, he said, I couldn't figure out why God would not give me the peace because he didn't want him to leave. Why didn't he want him to leave? Because a year later, the guy has been moved up into a job. He was making more money than he'd ever make. He loved his work, whatever he did. And the company he would have gone with in went belly up. He wouldn't even have had a job. God knows those things. He sees the future. And so if you'll trust him, uh, Paul is saying even if you're a slave or a servant, don't try to get loosed from the Lord, maybe doing something right there in your midst. Now, many times this is true for housewives who want to become great Bible teachers. And they get so involved in that that they neglect their families. Now, I'm not saying you can't teach, you can't do that. I'm not saying that. I knew a woman once that her husband divorced her because she had no time for her family because she was always busy at the church. You got to be careful about that, you know. Billy Graham once had a lady come to him and, and said to him she believed that God was calling her to the mission field. He asked her if she was married, and she said, yes, I, she was. He asked her, do you have children? She said, uh, yes, I have five. He said, lady, God has sent the mission field to you. Understand that I'm not trying to throw a bucket of cold water on anyone that is between you and the Lord, but if you're doing something and it is not of God, then it will be a burden rather than a blessing to you. And in the end, it will be wood, hay, and stubble, be burnt up, and careful about saying, God told me to. If he's speaking to you, then it will be manifesting good works. So how do, you, how do you know when the Lord is speaking to you and putting something in your life to do? For me, the Lord has worked in my life a particular way. It always starts with an idea because everything is in your mind. And so it starts with an idea that, that won't go away. And when it won't go away, then you need to pay attention to it. And I've determined that, that it, I have to determine, and this is what Hebrews talking about, that two-edged sword that separates my soul and my body and my, from the spirit that I know it's him saying it, not me. I have to determine, is it me or is it him? The next thing is I begin to pray about it because it stays with me. And the verse that is so important to me is Philippians 4, 6, and 7. It says, be anxious for nothing, or in the old King James, be careful in nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And here it comes. Here's verse 7. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. That's what he said he'll do. Do I have peace about it? If I have peace about it, God's given me a green light saying, go on ahead. Now, uh, and so then I look at Proverbs 18, 16 that says, has the Lord made room for it? Is there opportunities and provision for it? It doesn't mean that there will not, but it doesn't mean this. If you're going to do something for the Lord, it doesn't mean there are not going to be obstacles because there will be because sometimes the devil sees what's happening and he's going to try to stop it. Fourth thing is you need to begin to confess what it is that God is showing you to do. 
You know, the Bible says, because the heart of man believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Same thing. And so just watch who you tell it is. When the Lord started dealing with me about ministry and the people I told to, they didn't give me a lot of hope. Well, how are you going to do that? You know, they, they'd say, you know, so I'm like, well, you know, and, I, and how are you going to provide for your family? Well, I, I, I've seen the education work. Well, there are no jobs in education. You can't, I got hired before I got out of, out, of, out, of, out of college. That's what God does. He, if, if it's of him, if you step out in faith to do this. Now, this is an important consideration. Now, here's the, uh, you know, um, but how do you know the will of God? Well, I can also go over to, you know, if you do the things in, in chapter uh, uh, in, uh, in chapter 12, is it chapter 12? Yes, yeah, chapter 12. Chapter 12 of Romans, verse 1 and 2, he says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your body a living sacrifice. That's the first thing. Got to get things worked out physically and, and mentally and, and spiritually in your life. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, that you, you, uh, uh, you present your body a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto the Lord. And then he tells you this, and be not conformed to the, to the world. In other words, don't let the world put you in their mold. You know, don't let them make you dress the way that you want to dress. Don't let them make think the way you don't. Don't necessarily watch. You know, we're in the kingdom of God. In the kingdom of God, what we ought to be doing is filtering everything through that that you know the the Christian ideas of things. We ought to, everything ought to be filtered through that. And so, be not conformed to this world. Be transformed. Well, how do you do that? Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Uh, in other words, you've got to have the Word of God. You renew your mind. You just renew your mind continually in the Word of God, in the Word of God, in the Word of God. And, and I'm telling you, one of the things that you need to do is uh, that you need, you need the little things that stick in your pockets and things like that with scriptures on them that just says when, you, when you're going through something, you start reading those scriptures and because where does faith come from? Faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. And you got it right there. So and then what does the last part of that verse say? And be not conformed to this world, be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you might be able to prove what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. This is an important consideration to, to remain in the position you were called. Why? Because your relationship with the Lord, you're not your own. And verse 23 tells us that you're bought with a price. Peter tells us it was not with silver and gold, precious stone, but with the precious blood of Jesus. You're not your own to do what you want to do. And when we do, we get out of the will of God. Now, the Lord has two types of will. He has his perfect will, and then he has his permissive will. Too many are taking advantage of his permissive will and living a life functional, like a functional atheist, doing whatever they want, and Jesus to them is just a fire escape. But the great temptation of any ministry that God begins to bless, a man or woman with is the temptation to take credit for it. And if you got to be careful, if you start taking credit for it, because the Lord will not share his glory with anybody. I don't care who you are. 2 Corinthians 4, 7, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels, and then it says this, that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. I'm going to give him the credit for everything in this church. Everything. So what's the message? The message is, is don't look down the road so far, which is okay to look down or have a dream. It's okay to have a vision. And I'm not, I'm not telling anybody here, you know, if you're in a position where you're trying to change or something, that, you, you know, uh, you're looking at another job, that's fine. It, just make sure the Lord's in it. That's all I'm saying. And I think that's all Paul's saying here. But the message is don't look down the road so far, which is okay somewhat, but, but God is a God of realness. And realness in what he's doing today. The past is gone and there's nothing that you can do about it. But commit it to the Lord. The future, there is no guarantee. We only have today to trust and act. That's why the Bible says today is a day of salvation. You can't do anything about what happened back here. And you can't really do anything about what's going to happen in the future. But the Bible says today is the day to remain in his or her situation as long as you're free in the relation. Here's the key. Remain in his or her situation as long as you're free in the relationship with the Lord. 
but the Lord must be first. Verse 24. There abide, well, listen to what he says here. He says simply in, 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 uh, in, in, 20, in verse 24, Brethren, let each man, one remain with God in the state in which he was called. In other words, what's he saying? He's saying uh, you must abide with him. There's ab- abiding with the Lord. And if any situation will not allow God to be first, then you must change that situation. You've got to change the situation if it won't let, you be, uh, won't let the Lord be first in your life. So, and, and I hope I made this plain. I'm not saying, you know, you shouldn't change position, shouldn't change, or, or you change job. I want, I want, you know, I, I talked to somebody this past week, and um, I, I, somebody this past week, and uh, they were telling me about their job and the pressure that's on them. I couldn't stand that. And I, I told him, I said, well, I said, how much longer you got before you can get out of there? And he said, well, one to two years and I said well if you leave can you take your uh, can you take your uh, retirement and stuff you have no it's a 401k I can take that with me and I said well if you know because listen I've seen too many men uh, drop dead with the pressure on them of trying to keep it up sometimes you need to go sometimes you just gotta you just uh, got to to um, let it, you know, uh, just have to let it just come to a place where you just got to say, I can't do this anymore. You know, waiting to, but this is, why is it, this is so important that we train ourselves to listen to what God is trying to say to us. If we don't, we're going to have some problems. So, um, tonight we have a verse of invitation. And, uh, you know, and... and uh